Red with Jay Blessed is a transparent look into the life and mind of a Caribbean woman having human experiences. Get into my mind as I share my most vulnerable thoughts and honest experiences. I'll take you on a roller coaster of emotions as you get to know someone who might share similar experiences with you. Some might make you speechless, you'll definitely laugh. Others might make you angry and some might even make you cry. But my very real, very raw, very relatable weekly podcast will always keep you coming back for more. Join me as I talk to myself, talk to you, and even talk to some special friends in my head. (laughs) In my head is an introspective look from a voyeuristic point of view. For a list of all my social channels and how you can connect with me, please view this episode's summary. To join in on the conversation, use the hashtag HeadWithJB. That's H-E-A-D-W-I-T-H-J-B. And follow me on Instagram at RealJBlessed and Twitter at JBlessed. Let's get in on the conversation together. Don't forget to log on to my official website, JBlessed.com. A human experience from a Caribbean perspective. Episode 35, A Pandemic Survival Story with Carrie Edwards. In my head. Hey fam, how are you feeling? How are you really feeling? How are you really feeling? I am coping and managing, maintaining, trying to stay in my right mind as we navigate what has become our new temporary normal. I just want to alert you to the fact that you will be hearing a lot of sirens in my background today. What has been known as the soundtrack of New York City, you know, sirens every, you know, couple of hours, you might hear one. I've actually been hearing three, four, five sirens every hour. Every day, from morning to very wee hours of the morning to late night, it is quite disturbing. It is quite scary. Um, Yeah, so you may hear a siren or two or four or five uh, during this particular episode, but this is the reality. You know, I live in Brooklyn. I live in New York City where we are basically ground zero. And the death toll keeps rising. And so every time I hear a siren, there is this pang of anxiety that runs through me like, wow, is someone dying again? You know, it's, it's scary. Um, these are not normal times and it's okay not to feel okay. You know, I'm trying my best personally to find some sense of normalcy at home, but these are not normal times, right? Um, but I want to employ you, as Dr. Cindy did in episode 33, as medical professionals and those uh, in leadership have been asking us to do, which is to stay home. It is imperative that we stay home. The survival of your family and you depend on you staying home. How much do you want to live? And I understand that you may need to go out for essentials that may be running low or gone. Please protect yourself. Please wear your face mask. Please walk with your hand sanitizers. Um, Alcohol-based. Please make sure that you're taking precaution to protect yourself. Please do not be using gloves for the entire duration of you being outside then jump in your car with the gloves and drive. It's absolutely ridiculous to do that. Gloves are single-use items. You know, like I, I actually watched someone drive on my block and she was wearing gloves in her car, picked up her handbag, opened her door and left. And I'm like, lady, 
what manner of madness is this? <laughs> um, please, in everything that you do, please use wisdom. That wasn't a smart thing to do. It wasn't. She just contaminated her whole car. Um, for those who can't celebrate milestones, you know, like birthdays, I've been seeing a lot of my friends have birthday parties via Zoom, and I thought that's to be so creative and fun. Um, but there are a lot of people who can't celebrate with their friends. You know, I send love out to you. There are a lot of graduates for the year 2020 who are feeling a bit despondent because no cap and uh, apparently no gown either. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you, but it's just like, wow. In the grand scheme of things, I know we want to celebrate. But above all, we need to try to survive this, right? There are also people who are dying very lonely deaths. Can you imagine being in a hospital bed on your last last couple of minutes here and you cannot be surrounded by family or loved ones? And you probably don't have anyone around you to borrow a phone, to FaceTime or call, or maybe you're older and don't know the capabilities of FaceTiming or calling by video and WhatsApp, so you pass away alone. It's been hard for me to record, um, but there is blessing in consistency. And a major blessing when you truly give of yourself to help others. And this is where I'm at, and this is what I'm choosing to do. Because if it was truly left up to me, um, I'd be in my bed. <laughs> this lockdown, however, is really showing how selfish people can really be and how selfish people really are, how heartless and soulless people really are, how distracted and disingenuous people really are, how self-serving and how lost people really are. And as much as I know that you find entertainment in some of these IG live videos with girls twerking, with some of your DJs exploiting the fact that people are home and now using it for their own gain to gain followers by exploiting young women or women using that opportunity to exploit themselves. I mean, seriously, in the grand scheme of things, if, if these were really the last time, that's how you really want to go out. Twerking in a thong with milk running down your ass. Seriously. Perspective. I posted a meme recently on IG that said, Crisis doesn't create character. It reveals it. In my head. This pandemic has brought life to so many systemic issues, including poverty, racism, health disparities, and lack of opportunity. There are many people like me who are ineligible for unemployment benefits. Please know that there are grants and funds you can apply to. Just do your research and be careful when submitting your information. It's a draw of luck, but it doesn't hurt to apply. And there are millions of dollars available, so please do not leave money on the table. I know many of us are proud people who do not like asking for help. But now is not the time to have pride. Now is the time to survive. You can also apply now for PUA or Pandemic Unemployment Assistance. The Federal CARES Act provides enhanced unemployment benefits for regular beneficiaries of unemployment insurance and those who would not normally receive unemployment insurance benefits. Pandemic Unemployment Assistance or PUA is available to individuals who do not normally receive unemployment benefits. PUA offers temporary unemployment assistance to those who are unemployed, partially employed, or unable to work because of COVID-19 and are not currently eligible for regular unemployment benefits. For more information on how you can apply, please read the show's summary. In my head. Testing for the coronavirus is not being done as effectively and as quickly as it should be. 
It is confusing and quite disheartening to hear of a tiger in the Bronx Zoo being tested and found positive for COVID-19, while many humans are being denied testing or being told they have the virus without being tested. African-American communities are the hardest hit. The health disparities by race were revealed several weeks ago by the New York City Health Department via a detailed map which showed by zip code areas that African-American communities such as Wakefield in the Bronx, Flatbush, East Flatbush, and Crown Heights in Brooklyn, and Jamaica, Queens had high numbers of COVID-19 positive residents. Dr. Anthony Fossey, who has been the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease since 1984 and who hails from Brooklyn, recently stated that, open quote, we have to focus on getting resources to vulnerable African-American communities, close quote. Dr. Farsi was commenting on his recent meeting with the Congressional Black Caucus, sounding the alarm that resources and testing need to be made more readily available in African-American communities because they are suffering much more disproportionately. According to NBC News, Dr. Fossey took time during a White House coronavirus press briefing to draw attention to societal problems, delving into how African-Americans in some states had been harder hit by the novel coronavirus in terms of intensive care intubations and risk of death compared with the rest of the population. In Chicago, more than half of all COVID-19 positive test results and 72% of recorded virus-related deaths have been among African Americans, who make up just 32% of the city's population and 15% of the state of Illinois. Dr. Fossey is quoted saying, open quote, and the reason I want to bring it up, because I couldn't help sitting there reflecting on how sometimes when you're in the middle of a crisis like we are now with the coronavirus, it really does have ultimately shine a very bright light on some of the real weaknesses and foibles in our society, end quote. I was in a recent Caribbean American Tully Town Hall and Dr. Wayne A.I. Frederick, president of Howard University, who represents for Trinidad and Tobago, cited obesity, diabetes, asthma, hypertension, sickle cell anemia as some of the underlying health issues that make black and brown people more susceptible to getting and dying from COVID-19. In addition to immunocompromised health issues, many are reluctant to seek medical care because they lack health insurance. Dr. Frederick also stated that most of the essential workers on the front lines like doctors, nurses, medical professionals, janitors, food handlers, delivery personnel, truckers, bus and train drivers are black and brown people who every day are risking their lives due to increased chances of exposure to the virus. They have to work. And by the time they do make it to the ER, the results may be fatal. The socioeconomic factors also a major weakness in big cities like Chicago and New York, where most families don't have the luxury of self-isolating in a room. They are sharing rooms and spaces in very cramped apartments and small homes with big families exposing their children and family members to COVID-19. Recent data showed that of the fatalities in New York City, 34% of the people were Hispanic and 28% were Black. But Hispanics make up 29% of the city's total population, and Black people only make up 22%. Meanwhile, the economic impact may raise to about 25% in the African-American communities. To locate a testing site near you, please visit cdc.gov or check out this episode's show notes for more information. I've had to turn off my phone and periodically disconnect from social media. You know, the news of friends testing positive and the loss of loved ones are becoming just too much to bear. Many people are really dying a lonely death because of COVID-19. Unable to have visitors, unable to say goodbye to their loved ones, unable to bury their dead. I feel like I'm watching a horrible sci-fi movie. But even World War Z and Contagion seem like fiction until COVID-19 really shut everything down. Please stay home, fam. If you have to go out for food and necessities, please protect yourself. But if you do not need to be on the road, please stay home. 
And if you do manage to go outside because you need food, please be kind and compassionate and generous to those who are working to make your life comfortable and safe. Please be kind. Now is not the time to be picking a fight in the unnecessary and with the unnecessary during a pandemic. Now is not the time to be arguing in a grocery line. Everybody's there for the same reason. They came to get food. I do implore you because Caribbean people, again, do not know nothing about personal space. Please, six feet, social distancing. Don't be on nobody's back in a line for your own health. It will be remiss of me to not send love out to those deeply grieving. You know, not just the loss of, you know, not just the loss of their normal or their job or their physical human connectivity, but the loss of a loved one. In my head. Here are just a few notable Caribbean Americans we lost due to COVID-19 and its complications. Dr. Roy Hastick, age 69, the founder, president, and CEO of the Caribbean American Chamber of Commerce and Industry. He was Grenadian. Gil Bailey, veteran broadcaster and pioneer radio personality who for more than 50 years was the voice of Jamaica and the Caribbean right here in the U.S. He was the recipient of the Order of Distinction by the Jamaican government. Hezroni Cayenne, 48, born in Caricou, Grenada, was vice chairman of the structure division of the TWU, or Transport Workers Union, Local 100. Brooklyn Democracy Academy principal Desan Romaine, who was of Trinbagonian heritage, died at the age of 36. Wendell Drager Manifold, former Guyana national under-18 captain of the Pele FC, died at the age of 65. Gone also is Anthony Hall, Secretary of the Barbados Ex-Policemen's Association. Dr. Ronald Verrier, a Haitian immigrant and Bronx-based trauma critical care surgeon. Reggae music impresario and concert promoter German Vera, better known as Father German, lost his battle to the coronavirus at age 48. And UK-based reggae singer Delroy Washington also passed away. Hi, I'm State Senator Kevin Parker, and I represent the 21st District in Brooklyn. I'd like to urge my constituents to remain alert and be aware of predators trying to exploit the coronavirus global pandemic. At this time, there are no cures, vaccines, or home test kits being offered for COVID-19. So please ignore any emails or calls asking you to purchase these items. If you receive any robocalls concerning coronavirus, just hang up. Do not press any buttons to have your number removed because it will just lead you to getting more robocalls. Please do your homework before choosing to donate to any charity claiming to be set up to help with the coronavirus pandemic. No one should ask you to donate via cash, gift card, or by wiring money. Be aware of whom you are buying products from online. Online sellers may claim to have in-demand products when in fact they do not. Check with the Better Business Bureau or look for online reviews before making purchases. And lastly, do not click on any links from email sources you do not know. You could potentially download a virus onto your device. Be especially wary of emails from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. For the most up-to-date information on coronavirus, I ask you to visit www.cdc.gov or contact the New York State Department of Health's 24-hour hotline at one 364 3065, or visit their website if you have questions or concerns. We're going to get through this together. Please stay home and stay safe. In my head. Carrie O. Edwards is the Vice President of External Affairs at One Brooklyn Health System at the Brookdale Hospital Medical Center in Brooklyn, New York. As the first Vice President of Color in the history of the institution, Carrie oversees the department by supervising and managing government and community relations, along with all responsibilities related to public affairs. 
He is responsible for the education, marketing, and dissemination of information to 1.3 million Brooklynites serving the catchment area of Brookdale. Over the last two decades, Carrie has also led a vast career in community development and politics through the city and state of New York. Having worked behind the scenes in various capacities for numerous elected officials, nonprofit organizations, and city agencies, Carrie's career has been dedicated to strengthening communities and enhancing the everyday lives of Brooklynites. Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, Carrie Edwards is the son of immigrant parents from Trinidad and Guyana. He is a devoted husband and proud father of three children, and he is also a survivor of COVID-19. Jay Burns in my head, fam. Help me welcome to the podcast none other than Mr. Carrie Edwards. Carrie, how you feeling? <laughs> I am feeling like I'm alive and well. How alive I, and how well? My boo. I, I, I thought I heard it's my boo, but I guess it's not yet. So no, I'm feeling <laughs> good. I'm feeling good. I am so happy that you are alive and well. God knows I know you have a story to tell us and we can't wait to hear that. But before we begin... How are you really, really feeling? Um, I can quantify by saying when this thing started, I felt like a penny, five cents, and today I'm $20. Okay. Um, hopefully to get to $100, but it's it's a slow and steady race that I'm, I'm glad I'm still on. Now, I'm hearing the siren in the background, and I told my audience before, we're recording from home because we can't be in the studio now due to social distancing. So if you hear the alarm right now, <laughs> that's coming from Carrie. That's that Jew horn. <laughs> that's right, and, and, and they're just saluting me. They're saluting me because they do all the show. So thank you, everybody. Oh, my God. So here's what. This is, and I just want to let the audience know because I keep it authentic and 100% real here. So one of the things that happens when you're recording from home is sometimes there are technical issues. And man, Carrie, oh my God, God sent you. (laughs) We're going to make the best of this episode. But I know you have a story to tell and I'm so amazed and so proud of you. You are the first VP of color at Brookdale Hospital. How does that make you feel? Well, um... It, it was uncomfortable. It, I re, let me back up. I didn't really pay attention to it. I, like, I, I come into situations and I'm there to do a job and, and embrace the job. And it didn't really dawn on me until I, I was the first VP of color until I sat in the boardroom um, with my other, other VPs. And I was literally the only one uh, that looked like me. And um, to quantify that, a nurse stopped me in the hallway one day and said, you know, you're our Obama, so please don't go anywhere because we need you. Wow. And that was when it kind of hit home that, you know, Brookdale Hospital that has as many Caribbeans, as many Blacks, as many Latinos working in the hospital itself didn't have representation um, like that until I got first got there. Normally, I ask people the same question every time we start, and I'm going to ask you now um, because sharing that part of your story bleeds into many other questions for me. But who is Carrie Edwards? Um, Carrie Edwards is the son of immigrant parents, mother from St. Joseph in Trinidad, father from Georgetown and Diana. Um, a type 1 diabetic for 42 years, acquired it from a yellow fever shot um, on my way to revisit Barbados um, because my dad worked for World Bank when I was a child and we lived there and as he worked there. Um, it, it helped shape me. It helped depress me. It helped encourage me. It helped motivate me um, because being a child in the 70s with a disease of that, it kind of puts into perspective things. So I never take anything for granted. I never take anyone for granted. I've always felt that putting people first was the way that God wanted me to be. And it turned into a, a love of life, a love of people. Um, and, I, and I think that's who I am. You know, anyone who knows me knows I love cracking jokes. I love smiling. I love trying to make things better. But I also love to put the next person in front of me um, to better them. Talking about the love of people, um, this is probably the reason why you chose this career, 
public service. Um, but you shared with me before uh, the fact that you're always taking care of other people. But recently, uh, you were tested positive and had to be quarantined for COVID-19 and you had to be taken care of. Yes. So I, big shout out to my wife, Ms. <laughs> Jamila Edwards, because um, I realized she wanted me to slow down first and foremost. She was telling me, look, stop going to work, slow down. I know you love the people at work, but, you know, if you don't take care of yourself right. and as God will have it, he just kind of just paused me. And last two Saturdays ago, um, I really I came home from work. Um, she actually came with me to work to hand out food and I just couldn't get up fever, not feeling well. Was, uh, the best way I could describe it was somebody was rubbing me with sandpaper and my wife had the olive oil and the coconut oil and the Tylenol oil and everything and she took care of me to get me to the point that I'm going to throw with you now smiling. Wow. Wow. Much love goes out to Mrs. Jamila Edwards for preserving your life <laughs> and making sure that you're here to share your experience and also to share caution and warning to those outside. Because, you know, some Caribbean people had a hearing. And I think your story is a cautionary tale. But before we delve more into COVID-19, you are, again, the VP of External Affairs at uh, the One Brooklyn Health System at Brookdale Hospital. And your hospital is located in Brownsville? Yes, so it's it's literally on the border of East Flatbush and Brownsville, um, split by a million square feet. So on the front side is the the uh, East Flatbush side of Rockway Parkway, and when you get to the middle of the lobby, you're then in Brownsville. I just read earlier on in the podcast um, some grave statistics on the fact that you know New York City seems to be ground zero for the coronavirus right now, uh, but. Black and brown communities seem to be the hardest hit by the virus. Now, I came across an, an article on CNN where um, CNN actually got rare access into Brookdale Hospital. And um, it, it was quite an insightful article. Uh, if you want to read this, you can check it out on the show note of this episode. But at that time, I think it was back on March 31st, 2020, when the article went live, at that time, Brooklyn was at Brookdale was at capacity with patient beds lining the emergency room department, uh, and the morgue overflowing. Has yes. that changed? Um, it has not changed. Um, it has gotten not substantially worse, but consistently worse. Um, Brookdale Hospital was built in 1921 with the emergency room capacity for 30,000 visits annually. Um, we, even though our hospital reaches 100,000 visits on an annual basis in our ER, we don't have the capacity to hold maybe more than 70, 80 people at a time, uh, sometimes having them lined up in the, in the hallway of the ER to be um, for patients to be taken care of. We are literally averaging about 100, 170 people through that emergency room with some wait times taking us out into the ambulance bay. Um, it's something that our hospital plus any other hospital in the city of New York probably has never seen and hopefully will never see again. But just the, just the physical plant of our emergency room itself um, on, on a bad holiday weekend with gunshots, we are at capacities. Nothing like this we've seen before. So you said that you were at work when your wife uh, came to assist you in uh, serving off food. Do you think that's where you contracted the virus? Yeah, I mean, the, the unfortunate feeling of many of the workers is that, you know what, most, most of us have it. You know, you're in a very confined, um, even though I'm an executive and I get to sit in the C-suite, um, knowing me is that I'm on the floors, I'm in the ER, you know, I'm patient, I'm engaging, I'm staff engaging. Um, so the, the reality of how this disease, you know, I say jump a lot, jumps like fleas, it, it, it was a foregone conclusion um, that, you know, you would acquire it, that many of our workers would acquire it. And part of my role that I took on in the hospital is just not external affairs, but I assist patient experience. I assist, you know, handing out PPEs. It's just a lot of of moral love that I have for the people that I go to war with all the time. And I think that at one point, 
Um, I was on the 10th floor, um, and I think that's where that's where I got it because literally I was at the nurse's station dropping off food, but, you know, there was a patient there that was very close to me um, who, who recently passed, and so I stopped by his doorway, and even though I didn't go in, you know, you just, you just felt that something was going to get you, and I, I still didn't think I had it until, you know, literally I couldn't move the next morning, and, and I was like, wow, this wow. is it, um, and then I got the official test. The, Saturday, the Monday after the Saturday that I um, got sick. Wow. Wow. So walk us through that because this interview is so layered. You're giving us a perspective from an, 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 an administrative point of view and now also from a patient point of view, right? So yeah. share with us your experience the next day, you couldn't get up. You get tested. You're waiting for your results. Walk us through those moments. Um, it so it it snuck up on me, right? The first symptom that you know everyone tends to say they get is the cough, right? So I had a dry cough. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary. The weather was changing a little bit. I thought it could have just been, you know, I'm getting old. I'm, I got a little bit of a um, what do you call it? like hate fever or whatever, but the cough wouldn't stop. And then at some point during the evening, it just stopped. And I was like, oh, I'm fine. So my wife was like, you know, just take your temperature to be safe. So I took my temperature and it was 97.1. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm fine. Literally probably eight o'clock that evening, um, my sugars went through the roof. So usually when my body's under any type of trauma, my physiology having diabetes is long, my sugars go up. So my sugar went up to about 280 something. And then she was like, your eyes don't look good. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not feeling well. She's like, take your temperature again. And it was 100. It was like, shit. It was 101? 101. Wow. Sorry for um, cursing. Yeah. So I'm no, like, you can hey. curse. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I was like, shit. Um, no, this was. So she was like, okay. Then she started freaking out because, again, you know, the, the week prior, you know, we had 20-something people pass. So, like, I'd come home every day and tell her about just the pure tragedy that we see, the, the sadness, and it starts to hit home uh, because the reality of it is, is like you don't want your loved one to go through that, and here I was possibly going through it. And um, so then I didn't, you know, she she rubbed me down, she gave me some Tylenol, I laid down, my temperature went down to 100.9, which was like 0.1. Um, next morning was this like immense back pain, couldn't even like get out of bed, um, I sweated. I sweated through the bed, which meant you know the fever broke, but it literally only broke to like ninety nine point eight. So it wasn't really dropping much. Um, and for me, it wasn't the high fevers; it was the fact that it was the diabetes and the high fevers. Right. So that started to become a little worrisome, you know. But you know, I, I was you know still defiant in my mind. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be fine. And she's like, now all of a sudden, she's just you know pumping me full of stuff and calling folks to find out what's going on and. Her mom used to be a manager at um, Whole Foods years ago, and she spoke to her mom, and her mom sent her to Whole Foods, and she stayed online for two hours to get all of these, you know, homeopathic um, things for me, and came home and, and started taking care of me, started becoming Nurse Edwards, so to speak. Right. And um, and Monday morning, it just it never got better, so she told me to call the hospital, um, and that's when we had just started opening up testing for our staff. And they got me in and literally waited the whole day, not getting any better. And then later that evening, I got the results that I was positive. And it was like, okay, we know what to do. Um, I'm, I'm somebody who's been against certain kind of medicines because, it, you know, it upsets my stomach and it's a lot of different things. So we, we really went the route of a lot of like honey ginger and, and, and heavy heat to the body and sweating out the fever and then I had friends who started to find out and started calling me and I and I literally will be honest with you I took every western and eastern medicine um remedy that could work because the the thing that we needed to make sure was that my breathing was okay right and that was the biggest thing because once your breathing goes it's it's really a hard battle and you know, um, Dr. Dorian Alexander who I have to give a lot of big ups to he's the vice chair of emergency room at Brookdale, Trinidadian brother who, you know, he was like, look, you're my family. So he just kept telling me, you know, both sides of it. This is what you got to do. You got to do this over overload on vitamin C, overload on um, zinc. Just make sure that your body is 
well built for the fight that you're about to go through. And he got me something called spinometer, which, you know, I had to blow into to make sure my lungs were still open and I couldn't lay on my back. I should lay on my side or my stomach. And, you know, we went through this whole process and it, it got progressively worse, but my breathing stayed well. So even in, in the biggest midst of me feeling like I'm beaten and I'm losing this fight, I knew that I, I'm still better off than a lot of people who are on ventilators. So wow. that, that was the fight for that week. So um, I just want to put a disclaimer here that the information that you got from your doctor was specifically to you. However, I'm sure that it can be helpful. It is not medical advice for my listeners, but still, we talked to Dr. Cindy before who gave us some helpful hints on how to boost our immune system. Vitamin C was definitely one of them and zinc another. And I'm hearing, I'm hearing the Caribbean influencia because, you know, we get we ginger and get we garlic and honey and turmeric and stuff like that and you see how going back to basics sometimes is so essential so just acknowledging our ancestors who were able to pass down these remedies that still to this day still to this day is still saving lives um, in the same article on cnn dr arabia Millet, she was quoted saying a medical war zone Millette, who is an emergency room physician at Brookdale, had told CNN, and I open quote, every day I come, what I see on a daily basis is pain, despair, suffering, and healthcare disparities, end quote. Yeah. Now, you were able to be cared for at home, and I have so many questions in regards to that because I want to know how are your kids. I want to know, did your wife get tested? I want to ask all these questions. All these questions are here. Um, but in the moment of having that virus go through your body, ravage your body, were you ever scared? Um, I was worried, um, worried, and then got scared. Um, and and the the scary part of it was not the the thought of death, as you know, death has ravaged so many of our community and so many people throughout the country with this thing. The scary part of it was that it started to take away your ability to fight. Um, and that that what you just told your listeners about the the home remedies and the the actual doctor remedies. The reality of it is is that. When fighting, you, if you don't do everything, then parts of you, the things that don't work. So I, I did everything from, you know, onions in my sock to literally taking, you know, uh, a little bit of fix and putting it in the back of my tongue. And I realized that the more I saw these little things not working, even though they probably never would have worked, that as I started to give up on those things, I started to give up on myself. And I think that is the scariest part of being in an incapacitated state. Um, and I was luckily enough to have my wife here. You know, um, I just sent my children off, obviously, but I had someone that was constantly there and me not being alone. And then you start to think about the patients that you left at the hospital who, when they're in that bed, there's no one else with them, you know, or doctors arounding and nurses arounding so it's not like you have constant care like I had and I think that's where the fear that I had turned to being scared but not to the point that I know some of these folks are going through it you said you had to send your kids off <clears throat> did everyone in your household get tested no so so my um I have children from a you know, my wife and I recently got married, so the, her those are her stepkids that she loves dearly. Um, but they're with their moms, and so they they you know because of no school, you know, daddy got the house, so they get to hang out and play video games. But when I started to feel uh, I wasn't feeling well, my well, let me back up. My 16 year old son also is a type one diabetic, so his health became the prominent thought in my mind. 
so he, he had to go. So I have two sons and a daughter. Um, so they, they had to go to their mom. And then I have my 85-year-old dad who lives with me, but he's in the basement. So we definitely kept the kept the 40-foot distance versus a six-foot. Six um, mm-hmm. But the reality of the testing part of it, and this is something that politically I'm still battling with um, because I was able to get tested because I had symptoms, you know, and the assumption is now there that my wife, she's not symptomatic. We test her temperature all the time. But if she became symptomatic, then she would move to the front of needing a test. Um, but what we realized, and because the test takes so long, we well, we went, Brookdale is now doing rapid testing, which our rapid testing is under six hours. Some of the previous tests were taken five and six days, and I heard it getting better quicker tests, but just the capacity of the patients coming through, we wouldn't have wasted a test on my wife, you know, because the assumption is, you know, she protects herself as though she has it, but she's not symptomatic. So that's why I was the only one in the house to get a test. Oh, this is a lot. And this is a lot. This is a lot. Now you're, you mentioned testing and, um, you know, we had a tiger in the Bronx get tested. Mm-hmm. And um, there are people in our communities right now who really need to be tested and, and, and can't. There's some of them who can't even leave their homes. So it's not just a matter of finding a, a, a testing center. There are some elderly folks that can't leave. There are people who have conditions that can't leave. Uh, I'm sure. Oh, my God. Uh I'm trying to make sure that we have another guest that comes on here specifically to talk about testing. Um, But from your point of view, do you think they're doing enough when it comes to the testing? No, I mean, look, I I will be honest with you. And I am, I say politically, I could say morally, you know, you and I could probably talk about that line and, and, and not, I don't want to use the word privilege, but the access to certain things, the reality of it is, is that in order for you and everybody else to talk about flattening the curve or knowing who's got what, you know, look, my wife could, my wife protects herself and protects others by putting her gloves and mask on because she knows she's home taking care of me. But there's so many folks that's walking out there touching door handles and stuff who probably got it, you know, and not symptomatic. And then you have somebody like me that'll touch that door handle and I'm diabetic and all of a sudden I'm getting sick. And then three days later, I'm, you know, in the hospital. So testing is, it has to be done. And I got the reason why it wasn't done early because we didn't have the capacity of it. But, you know, at this point in time, you know, my wife told, you know, my wife works for DC 37. So she gets a lot of uh, Fidney, the Fidney EMS guys or her members and she was just reading a report to me that, you know, over 200 people a day were dying in their homes without even coming to hospital to get tested just because of the overwhelming capacity. So when you're saying that people are dying in their homes, I heard the number, our death toll went up like in the thousands because now they're starting to count people who didn't get out to get tested. Those seniors are talking about, you're talking about those asthmatics, you're talking about those folks who... You know, Living go home, on. go home, and you quarantine yourself. Yeah, but what do you? Why, what are you fighting? You know, like I don't know if your doctor said it, but some of our doctors said, you know, please don't take ibuprofen because mm-hmm. they heard ibuprofen has a connection of, you know. So then some folks are like, oh, I got back pain. I'm gonna take ibuprofen. God forbid if they're COVID and this thing accelerates stuff. So there's so much stuff going on for folks that just don't know or just not getting the chance. And so when she spoke about disparities, yeah, there are different levels that I'm sure we're going to get to on this, but the disparities of information, that's that's the biggest crime of them all, right? Because the real, the real information as it comes is not being really shared to the point that, like I said, grandma home who thinks she got, you know, her back is just hurting, it's a normal flu, and then all of a sudden she can't breathe. That is, it's, it's a sad place. This is such a somber, you know, like feeling for me because I try not to watch the news. I try to get my news in, in, in bullet points and in, in just like snippets. Um, but just the mere thought that every day now, as I'd mentioned before on the podcast, that I would hear a siren, you know, 
maybe once or twice for the day. I'm hearing a siren five, six times every hour. And it is scary. (laughs) It is scary. Um, The main objective that I'm trying to share with my listeners in the month of April as we focus on the coronavirus is to stay home. I cannot stress this enough. And, you know, your wife was able to leave even though she was in contact with you, someone who's ill, but someone else might be next to, we don't know, right? So you just, it's hard to stay home if you need to go get necessities, but if you have to leave the home, make sure you're protecting yourself as much as, be as paranoid in your protective gear as possible. Now is the time you can literally look like you're going to rob a bank. Nobody going to say we're not even... Ski mask and all. We don't even care. (laughs) So, you know, in my head focuses a lot on mental health. And I came across a video on your Instagram. Yeah, you know I'm a researcher. (laughs) I came across a video on your Instagram and I thought it was so powerful. Um, Strong black man just sharing that, you know, we're not okay. Share more about that with us. I mean, it, it was, uh, so I'll, you know, strong black man, you know, let me preface that way. Got no problem saying that, but I cry. I cry at movies. I cry at songs. Uh, what's, what's your sign? What's your sign, Carrie? I, I am a cusp Virgo, so I'm September 21st. Wait. To cu- Libra and Virgo. Listen, Hedna, what? Okay. <laughs> Big up all my burgers and all my Libras. But, but, okay, never mind. <laughs> Your girl's a Libra. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, and I've always been very comfortable with who I am. Um, and what happened that particular week was, you know, what we always do, you know, black people, white people, men, women, we, we tend to like keep pouring the coal on, not realizing that the fire is burning inside. And that was the that was the week after I allowed CNN to come into the hospital. That was the week that who I am as a person was questioned um, by my administration and my bosses, um, even though I felt it was important for folks to understand in our community what our hospital is going through. And then to the point of that week, realizing that we were averaging at the time 15 and 16 people dying and, and going into to a um, room, you know, and a friend of mine um, who works in a political office called me crying. It was like her best friend is is in the emergency room. And if you can just check on her and I put on my PPE and I put on my goggles and my mask. And I went over to see her friend and I sat there with her friend and I told her friend she got to hold on because her friend asked me to say something to her. And, and we have we have a doctor and we have the head of our patient experience going to rooms and, and videotaping so that family members can get a chance to see their family member. Because once, you know, you're on that side of the wall, that's it usually. And I remember hugging that same doctor on the Thursday because just as she was going to a family member to, to, to video chat and let someone see, I think their aunt, the patient passed away and she was inconsolable. So this whole, that whole week I was just absorbing. I was just absorbing and I, I'm not a clinician. I'm not someone who sits there and intubates people and, and takes their blood pressure and, and watches them pass. I'm somebody who bounces around the hospital to try to keep joy and keep things flowing. And for me that evening, it was like, you know what, y'all? This is what, this is what I'm feeling for the people who deal with it every day. And it's okay to cry. And it's, it's okay to let it out because if you don't let it out, we still got to get up and do it the next morning. And the irony of it is the next morning I went and fed, fed you know, fed the staff or whatever. And that, that night I got sick. What about your friend's girlfriend? Is she okay? Um, she, she passed uh, probably five, six days uh, after that. Five or six days after that. You know, so it was, um, you know, it's, it's, 
it's it's real, you know. And, and when I say real, it's not real where I have lost a family member to it. But I these are my family. So I mean, I'm a, I'm a I'm gonna just be very naked on your show because we've gotten very comfortable. Um, when Saturday was my lowest point, so on Saturday was my you know, my wife woke up, did everything she normally does for me, and I just was not being a good patient. Didn't want to take one of my vitamins, didn't want to take the Tylenol, even though my, my temperature was up. And mentally, I had started to give up. <clears throat> so it just became this thing. I didn't want to get out of bed. You know, and she's like, I'm doing everything. You don't understand how hard this is for me. And I'm like, just leave me, you know. And she went downstairs and rightfully upset with me. And I turned on this song. I don't know if you know that song, and I rise up. Um, uh -huh. I don't remember. Oh, I love this song. So this song was, you know, I, I, I spoke at a graduation a couple of years ago, and they sang this song, and it's like, it's my favorite song. But I had to play that song, and I literally played that song over and over and over, and I cried, and I cried, and yeah. I cried. I hyperventilated, and I cried, and I, and I took off all my clothes, and I jumped in the shower, and I took the showers as hot as I could take it and I sat there and I listened to this song as some type of like spiritual release because I could not get up you know and listening to every word about this thing I couldn't get up and I mean and then it got to the point like I couldn't breathe and then I felt my hand, my wife's hand on my back and she's like are you okay and I'm sitting there and then and your, your, your listeners will think I'm crazy but I I for, for the for the Second time in my life, I heard God speak to me. And what God said to me in that particular moment was like, you're okay. Stop feeling sorry for yourself, but you got something to do. And all I can remember was mumbling in tears to my wife that tomorrow we got to go and we got to place these lilies at the, the foot of these trailers. Mm. You know, because basically at Brookdale, we had one trailer... Um, and then by the, when I got sick, we had two. And then when I stopped over there, I'll tell that story, we had three. So in my soul, every night that I got home, I was homesick, I kept dreaming about folks who were passed away who were by themselves and who, from, a, from an African spiritual standpoint, couldn't have folks mourn for them the way we didn't do on the middle passages. And by the thoughts of not being able to talk about these folks and, and mourn for them in the middle passages. You know, the historians feel the Africans and we were cursed people. And I got up on Easter Sunday and my, my wife went on Saturday, got the lilies for me and I got dressed up gloves and everything and mask. And she drove me to the back of the hospital and security let me in. And I stood at the bottom of those trailers and I laid those lilies and I cried for the dead and I cried for those folks. And at that moment for me, it was like, this is what your purpose is for these folks. These, this is what you were supposed to do because the pain that you were feeling wasn't the pain that you were sick, but that these folks alone. And literally it was, you know, I told my wife the story when I got back in the car that like the, it's freezer trucks. So all of a sudden the engine just started and it freaked me out. Like it just like, it was like, wait a minute, what's going on? But it was something spiritual that I needed to do that, you know, families do from a distance. And even though I couldn't see the bodies, I was probably closer to them than most of their family members could ever be. And that was the the changing point in my sickness. It, it was a changing point in just the way I viewed getting my ass up and doing getting back to work because it was something that, I, like I said, it was the second time in my life God spoke to me. And the first time was when my son got sick and he was at Brookdale Hospital and I heard him say he's going to be okay. Right. And that was it. Second time. So this, that was, wow. you know, you're getting that story. <laughs> Your folks are getting that story that no one else got. And, and so I, I, I'm thankful that you, I got the vehicle to, to share it, but it was important to me. I want to acknowledge you for your kindness in respecting the dead. You know, a lot of people didn't have the burial rites. And as I said earlier in my intro that COVID-19 
patients are dying a very lonely death. A lonely, lonely death. And a lot of people can't even be there to pay their last rights to their family members. And thank you for that gesture towards our fallen. God bless you. That was powerful. That wasn't just powerful in the physical as in leaving some lilies. It was, it transcended into the supernatural and I acknowledge you for that. I commend you for that. I pray that God strengthen you just because you obeyed. That was powerful. Thank you. In my head. So, Carrie, you know, I didn't want to get too political, even though I know you that you, you, you look like you have a good political career ahead of you now, huh? <laughs> yeah, thinking, but you know. <laughs> you know, we need someone like you for the people and someone with a heart. And I am all about people's energy and what people do when others are not looking. And the mere fact that you would obey and go and pay respects to people that you do not even know as a proxy for their family members, that's powerful. That's profound. And so if you do decide to run for office, just let me know. Okay, we got all, all the Jaybirds. Well, well, well I, I am doing it. I already <laughs> slowed that down. Um, Tell us about that. Uh, so it it has. I don't. You know, Joel Osteen said it in a in a TV sermon one day that um, you know when you're wired to do things, when you find your gift, um, follow it. And if you don't follow it, you're never going to succeed in what's supposed to be. And the, the political choice that I made, um, the office even that I that I want to run for, that I am running for, is not a typical political office. It's not like a mayor or governor. It's it's more of a hands-on position. And I don't think that I, well, I see that the borough president was one of your guests, and that's that's the role that I want because I think that you're able as a as an elected official with influence and advocacy, able to still touch people and, and affect their lives in a way that, you know, if you're a city council person or a state senator, that you lose that constant contact, you know? And so that was after a lot of prayer that I'm like, this is something that I feel is my path um, on who I am. Like we spoke about before, just being able to put forth that energy. So, you know, that's that's the role that I'm going to run for and win and do my two terms and retire. <laughs> we are wishing you enough love and all blessings on your political endeavor and whatever we can do to help support you. Please do not be a stranger and reach out to the In My Head podcast and all of my chambers. We got you. All right, so here's what we're about to wrap up. And I'm I'm actually pretty happy with how this particular interview turned out, if I should say so myself. Like I had in my mind certain things I wanted to cover, but you know, when God is in the midst, he takes control and you just gotta let him do his thing, right? And so I want you uh, to speak to those people who may have lost a loved one and use your gift right now to pour into their spirit right now on this episode. So um, I feel your pain. And I feel your pain because your family member in, in my hospital, your family member in the spirit is, is, is part of us. Um, Many people, probably religious or non, do understand that we're all connected. If we yawn, if one person yawns, the other person yawns. And as everyone goes through this, and I watch it on ESPN and CNN, and how everybody starts their day of just mourning those, this is the one evil that has connected us. And you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone because 
I'm with you. My wife's with you. Your your electors are with you. Like people are with you because we may not know how to. We may not know how to say we're sorry or our condolences, but this just wiped out everything that we have except for our spirit. And when I when I sat in front of those trailers. You know, I played Eye on the Sparrow for those folks and that thing. And I played and I rise up for those folks. And, and I realized that every tear that ran out of my eye was because of my belief that we are together. And that's why I just want to tell anybody who's lost anybody that you're not alone and that I'm mourning with you and that a lot of us are mourning with you. Carrie now Evans. you got me crying. I'm crying too. <laughs> I am crying too. Carrie Edwards, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to just share your heart and your spirit with us. We are so happy to know that you are on the bend and you are recovering. And we encourage you to keep using your gifts and your talents to reach people and to heal people and to touch people in profound ways. Thank you so much for being on episode 35 of In My Head. In Hi, I'm State Senator Kevin Parker, and I represent the 21st District in Brooklyn. And today I'd like to let you know that social distancing is working. We're flattening the curve and slowing the spread of COVID-19. I know it's been hard, but continuing to avoid non-essential travel, socializing at bars and restaurants, and gathering in large groups is the only way to get back to normal. Please do not underestimate this virus. Just because the numbers are going down, doesn't mean that we should relax and resume life as usual. If we stop social distancing now, you'll see the numbers start to go back up immediately. Once there's a steady decline in people testing positive for COVID-19 and being admitted into hospitals and ICUs, only then can we start to have the conversation about loosening those restrictions and returning to normalcy. So I want to applaud everyone for their efforts and ask you to continue to practice safe social distancing. Stay home. Stay safe and stay informed. Only together can we beat this. In my head. What an interview. What an interview. What an interview. Thank you so much, Carrie Edwards, for being a guest today. I applaud you. I thank you. I'm so grateful that you made time for In My Head just to give you an overview of what's happening right now in New York City. As of now, there are 202,208 confirmed cases of COVID-19. There have been 10,834 deaths and 17,089 recovered in New York City. That's crazy. This is not a game. This is not a drill. This is real life. Stay home. Stay home. I know for a lot of people who may be new to the whole solitude thing, it's kind of, um, you know, uncomfortable. But would you prefer the discomfort of being alone right now or the discomfort of being in a hospital bed with a tube down your throat? Stay home. 10,000 plus deaths in New York City. Think about that. And this information comes online if you type in New York State COVID-19 on Google, there is a running list and update that's happening every hour on the hour. It's all there. <sighs> I didn't want this show to be somber, um, but it's, it's important that we have these un- uncomfortable conversations. You know, people are dying. People you know are dying. People I know have died. People I know are affected. I don't want to be affected by this 
in my home. I don't want to be tested positive and I don't want to, I, it's, I don't want that. So I'm staying my ass at home. I implore you to do the same. In Have you lost a loved one due to the coronavirus? Use the official hashtag, hashtag HeadWithJB to share your thoughts on social media. And what's playing in my head? Well, in honor of Carrie's resilience, I'm going to blast all day long this hit tune by Andre Day, Rise Up. Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of your favorite Caribbean podcast. What, what, what? Yes. <laughs> you know that I've dedicated the whole month of April to um, discussing the coronavirus, bringing you different perspectives. Um, so far, we've had Dr. Cindy M. Duke, who brought the medical advice and information to us. Last week, we had Seneca Williams, who brought the mental health perspective on how to manage, you know, how to manage your mental health during a pandemic. And today, today we had Carrie Edwards. So guys, stick and stay with us because you don't want to miss who I have next week on the podcast as we close off this month, totally dedicated to the coronavirus and its effect on our community. It's your girl, Jay Blessed. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you so much. And for all of you out there who have to get up every day and put on that face again and try and try and try again, I see you. I applaud you. Don't give up. Don't stop. Stay consistent. Take a break. Take a rest. But stay in the game. I love you all. Have a wonderful day. This has been another episode of In My Head.